0: Alright, Colossians chapter 4 is where we are today, and we're going to divide it into about four sections. Uh, a very long section, verses 7 through 15, and then two, short, three shorter sections at the beginning and at the end of the letter. And I want to just go ahead and jump into the first four verses. And you may say, wait a minute, didn't we talk about verse 1 last week? And we did a little bit, but I want to revisit it just briefly. Chapter 4, verse 1 is in many bibles kind of uh subtexted with chapter three the final couple of verses and probably rightly so because it's a continuation of the thought then again we should always look at chapter breaks uh, with looking at the verses that preceded it to make sure that we're not missing something more broadly in the context but let's go ahead and just pick up in verse one where he says masters give your bond servants what is just and fair knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. We'll go ahead and say verses 5 and 6 for just a couple minutes from now. Uh, verse 1, again, a continuation of the thoughts that we presented last week. But the thing that I thought about was the, the word motivation or our rationale for obeying or being subservient or being submissive to earthly masters is that we have a heavenly master. Uh, we talked about how Ephesians chapters 5 and 6 flow nicely with Colossians 3 and verse Uh, chapter 3 and verse 4 there's a different phrase used in Paul's letter to the church at uh, Ephesus where he says you masters do the same things to them giving up threatening knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him so there's a little bit of a different flavor to Paul's uh, statement to the to the Christians at Ephesus than to Colossae but So there's something to be said for those of us who work as uh, workers and those who serve as masters. There's responsibility for both parties in treating the other party fairly. And this goes along kind of nicely with our study of Deuteronomy in that uh, Brian's pointed out that those commands are about fairness, are about equality, are about uh, equity that were outlined in the book of Deuteronomy. And here we have Christ through Paul, an inspired writer, who is giving us New Testament principles that match nicely with the idea of being fair, being kind, uh, being transparent, all those things. And it goes nicely with chapter 3, where it talked about being tenderhearted, being kind as well. Because if you're going to apply chapter 3, then you as an employee or as a master would apply chapters 3 versus Uh, 24, 25, and chapter 4, verse 1. Any thoughts on that before we get into the prayer details of verses 2 through 4? All right, let's go ahead and look at verses. I call them prayer details or prayer notes. And there's a lot of great passages in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament that share with us the, pay no attention to the noises behind me, If you're hearing rattling, it's okay. Everything's fine back there. (laughs) But I won't be distracted by it at all. (laughs) But these are great passages that share with us uh, details about prayer, and this is one of those passages. I came up with, I count, five major points. And I mentioned the last two weeks that I like how Paul likes to list these things out. And he he puts them in kind of nice little packages for us to be able to appreciate and understand. Number one, uh, and I like the New American Standard where it says, devote yourself to prayer. The New King James says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. It is... Sometimes a challenge for us to get out of the trap, and I'm speaking about me sometimes, of prayer at prescribed times during the day. We pray maybe when we get up, we pray when we go to bed, we pray when we eat, maybe we have a specific time of day that we pray. We, and there's nothing wrong with those prescribed times of prayer. But 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says that we are to pray how? Without ceasing. That we are to be devoted to prayer. That it ought to be the kind of thing that we are engaged in it throughout the day. And, and granted, there are times where you can't pray. When you're really focused on a job or you're meeting with a client or you're teaching one of your students. Actually, sometimes when you're teaching one of your students, that's when you do want to pray, right? And maybe need to. But uh, there are times where we need to just devote ourselves to prayer. And I love the New America Standard version of that. The second thing he points out in his list is be really thankful. Uh, He says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So we are to be vigilant in prayer and to be thankful in our prayer life. And again, I'm guilty of it from time to time where I do an awful lot of asking, but I forget to do the kind of thanking that he deserves. Um, We cannot treat prayer as just the mode wherein we ask God for things. Nothing wrong with asking God for things. There's passages that tell us that. Hebrews chapter 4 chapter 5 says that when we have need, we come to our God and we ask him. But if the only thing we ever do is ask, 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 and we never praise, we never adore, go back to the acts of prayer, adoration and asking, Uh, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, A-C-T-S, then we are missing out on what prayer should be. It should include thanksgiving. Uh, Thirdly, pray about and pray for others. Again, if we're not careful, uh, we could pray about ourselves and forget that a great deal of our prayer life should be uh, extroverted, should be focused on others. And uh, sometimes we get trapped into thinking, it's all about me, and I'm just going to pray about me. Especially when you're going through a difficulty, uh, or you're facing some sort of particular individual challenge. Maybe force yourself out of that box and pray about others. And that will help you kind of get yourself, your mind off of your own challenges, whatever. Number four, pray specifically for teaching opportunities. I'm looking at verse three where he says a door would open to us. We pray publicly that doors will be open, do we not, from time to time? Uh, and I will say this, whenever I pray that individually or pray about the idea of give me opportunities to teach, it sometimes surprises me where those opportunities come from where those conversations begin in the next 48 hours with someone. So it does work. God does want us to take advantage of those open windows or those open doors, as Paul talks about. And number five, and finally, he recognizes his mission and recognizes his state. And I want to go back and read verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 6, because I thought this worked nicely. Um Again, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18, 19, and 20 kind of match nicely with what we're reading here. As for me, verse 19, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, there's the idea of bondservant or a slave, "that that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So, I thought that was just kind of an interesting take on Paul recognized what his mission was, recognized what his state was, and like we talked about in early Philippians, whatever state I am, I have learned to be content. For me to live or to die is either gain or Christ. It's a win-win. You cannot discourage me. Rejoice. Thoughts on prayer or thoughts on what we've talked about thus far? Yeah, Brother David?
1: So I wanted to say something about the thankfulness there. You know, a lot of times when we see something about prayer, we see the word thanksgiving included somewhere in there. You mentioned First Thessalonians five seventeen, pray without ceasing. The very next verse says, in everything give thanks. Philippians four six, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So it's it's almost as if we're not only to pray without ceasing, but be thankful without ceasing, to have this continual attitude of gratitude. Um, I mean, how often do we jump in the shower at home and we thank God for hot and cold running water? You know, How often do we flush the toilet and we're thankful that that all that business just sort of disappears and we don't have to deal with it, right? That we have clean air to breathe and Mm -hmm. and clean water to drink. Those are things that, that we can take for granted until they're taken away from us. Absolutely. We sing a song, count your blessings, name them one by one, and those
0: three would be great blessings. That we, You're right. We do take those things for granted. All right. Uh, verses 5 and 6. I just want to talk about those two verses together because we could spend 30 minutes just on verses 5 and 6, but let's spend uh, just a couple minutes. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. A lot of stuff just in those two verses, but let's unpack it in the next three to five minutes here. First of all, he says that we are to walk in wisdom, and it reminds me again of a parallel passage in Ephesians 5, verse 15, which says that we are to walk how, at least in the New King James Version. Circumspectly. circumspectly. What does circumspectly mean?
2: Looking carefully around.
0: Looking carefully around you, we think of circumspect, we think of circumference, something that is circular, and that's exactly what that means. It's the idea of, before I step forward, I want to know what's all around me, because there's danger around me, because Satan wants to trip me up. Beware of Satan, 1 Peter chapter 5. And so, um, that's certainly something that needs to be considered. He says, secondly, or he says, walk in wisdom so that those who are outside, the New American Standard actually uses the word outsiders. Uh, those who are outside. What is that about and why does that matter? What's, what's the point about those who are outside? Right, let me ask you this way. Who are the outsiders? Non-Christians? Yeah, I, I, I think that's what he's getting at is that We walk in a way that we influence our brethren or try to influence our brethren appropriately. But we also walk in a way that is trying to influence those in the world. Sometimes we talk about, and I've referenced this before at least in some studies, that values that we have as Christians are more often caught than they are taught. Not that we aren't to teach those values, but people will catch on to our values by the way that we conduct ourselves by the way that we live our lives. Reminded me of Second Corinthians, we won't take the time to read this, but this is where he says, you are the epistle or the letter written that we do not need letters of commendation about you. And this is one of those verses that we use when we sing the song, we are the only Bible the careless world will read, um, that we are the example that others are gonna follow. So we have to be consistent in our examples because of those who are outside. And, and the frightening thing about that to get away to applications early on is that if we mess up once and someone sees it, they'll judge our entire life based on that. And that's not really fair because, you know, someone once said if, if God judged us just on the lowest moments of our lives, well thankful that we we have grace right and that he forgives us but um, they'll judge the church they'll judge you and me based on other people they'll judge jesus based on that ultimately so redeeming the time which we'll talk about here in just segue put that up there and walking in wisdom is important ephesians chapter 5 again this time in verse 16 says redeeming the time because the days are what Days are evil. Now, it's not saying that he, Paul's not saying that every day is an evil day. What he's saying is that, there's. it seems to me, is that there's so much evil around us. And every day provides us with opportunities to do good in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, to borrow from another favorite phrase of Paul's. Uh, speak always with grace. Uh, my question is, is, what does that look like? What does that sound like? And I wanted to throw that out for a moment. What does it mean to speak with grace? Grace
2: is grace so unmerited be favor. Unmerited favor. for someone else's good.
0: For someone else's good, John says. Yeah. Very good. So we're speaking so that others benefit from our speech. Brother David?
1: Well, someone may respond to us in anger and... Even though they may not deserve responding kindly back to them, that's kind of a grace. Absolutely. It's knowing to respond back to them in love. And in fact, verses five and six, I've always kind of thought of that as people respond to the gospel in different ways. And we should use wisdom in evaluating where a person is in their faith and their belief. And and, and st- start from wherever they are. Absolutely. And, and use that, that grace. Uh, our speech be seasoned with salt, with love. Good.
0: And let's go ahead and bring in that next phrase that he uses there where he says seasoned with salt. So that's a powerful phrase as well. And I ask the question, what does that look like? What does that sound like? What's the purpose of salt? And there may be, uh, I, I can think of three different veins that you can go whenever we're talking about biblical salt. But when he says, season your speech with salt, what's that look like? Make it, make it taste good. All right, that's one of those things, right? I was going to say make it more palatable. Make yeah. it more palatable, right? Uh, if you've ever gone on a salt-free diet or you're on a salt-free diet and then you go back to regular food where... At a rest, prepared at a restaurant, especially, you'll notice, whoa, it's very salty, because we 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 Americans we use a lot of salt uh, and a lot of butter, right? It
3: preserves.
0: It preserves. That's the other thing. There's, I mentioned three things. Salt is a flavor, makes things taste different. Um, it preserves, and then there's something about salt in the Old Testament, right? in terms of sacrifice and in terms of offering. Uh, So there's like three different ways of looking at salt. And I'm really glad that Bruce brought up the idea of preservative because we are trying to preserve relationships with others so that we might teach them more appropriately. So walking towards redeeming the time towards those who are outside, those who are non-Christians, those who are not saints, we have the responsibility of speaking in a way that is going to help them come to the truth and not push them away. Because it only takes one time for us to, again, mess up or lose our temper or not use our speech appropriately. And we've lost out on that opportunity to teach that person appropriately. Uh, Miss Debbie over here, in the, to, your, to your right. Very good thoughts.
4: I, I just find it interesting that he said, he starts out with walking in wisdom. And then he kind of lays out why. So again, with salt, if you use too much, you've overpowered whatever the situation is Mm -hmm. with your speech, with your food, whatever. So again, using wisdom and thinking about your actions, whether in speech or doing, is so important. That's
0: excellent. I love that. Very good. I love the word important. We could use the word vital, essential, important. This is very, very important stuff that Paul is in the closing page of his letter, the closing couple paragraphs, is talking about. And remember that going back to two weeks ago, Colossians 2, there are some false teachers that they're having to deal with. And so there's a... a, real palatable issue that they're having to face around them and they're living in a society that is surrounded by some ugliness so they need to know how to going to the next part so you know how to answer and that brings me to the false teachers uh it might be two groups of people who they need to know how to answer one is the false teachers and then those who would accuse us or accuse those early brethren of inconsistency, kinda of like we talked about just a few moments ago. Anything else on verse? Uh, Brother Bruce here in the front? And then we're gonna go ahead and transition to a long section, uh, well, at least fairly, fairly long, seven through 15, Brother Bruce. Aren't
3: these uh, verses that we just read two through six, aren't they the very essentials of being a Christian, uh, having the proper uh, intimate relationship with God as Christ had, that his prayers were fervent, they were faithful, they were intimate, that our prayers are not selfish prayers as the uh, publicans, mm. but they're for others and that we uh, have a relationship not only with God, but we have a relationship with the, the men and women and children that we walk uh, among uh, daily, I, I think he's just given a, a short description of the mind of Christ that we mm-hmm. all uh, need to have. It's one of a servant, uh, one of uh, one who puts others before ourselves and esteem Absolutely. one another, especially our brethren, more highly than ourselves. That's a really good point.
0: I think you're exactly correct. Can we pray selfishly? And the answer is yes. And, and I like what Bruce was saying. I was writing some notes down to what he said here uh, about that relationship that we have with the Father, the way we pray, the relationship that we have with our brethren, the relationship that we have with outsiders. We've got a lot of important work to do. And, uh, I, in fact, I think that's one of my applications. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and read verses 7 Through 15. If we're not careful, and I've mentioned this at the close of Philippians, we will look at sections of scripture like this as the flyover material, um, where we just kind of breeze through it and get to the important stuff. Now let's get to Philemon. Um, But there's some stuff in here that I thought was interesting, educational, and also some applications that we can learn from. Uh, Verse 7. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brethren, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God, who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bond servant of Christ, greets you. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those who are in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphis and the church that is in his house. All right, so it's a, in addition to reasons that we sometimes breeze through those sections, because sometimes there's some names that... Are a little bit challenging to, to pronounce. Let's talk about these characters. Um, what do we know about Tychicus? Not we don't know much about a lot of these characters. Some of them we learn more about, but we are introduced to him in Acts chapter twenty and verse four. And we're going to go back to Acts and read maybe three or four passages from Acts just real quickly here as we talk about these characters. Because if the Holy Spirit writes these names down, and I understand that Paul is talking to people who would have known these people or they would have known the people that they were writing to or there is some sort of a relationship with them. It's much like us saying, by the way, um, Brother Smith says hi, and Sister Jones greets you as well. But in chapter 20 and verse 4 we find uh, of, of Acts, we find where... Uh, Paul departed to go to Macedonia, and accompanying him are a number of individuals, including Tychicus. Uh, and then I thought this was interesting, just kind of interesting to think about. Um, and I called it, uh, what, a, what a gravestone testimony. Look at, the, look at the three things that are associated with him. If I could have these three things written on my tombstone, I'd be happy. Uh, now i won 't see it. you all can see it um, um, if I go before you but i don 't I, I, I want to live to merit this that 's the thing that 's the frightening thing it 's a beautiful thing, but what are the three things he 's a beloved brother he 's a faithful minister, and he 's a fellow servant. What else could be asked of a human being to be a brother, a minister, and a servant and there 's the adjectives that precede those. Those three things. I just thought that was beautiful. Um, reminds me of a lady uh, at, uh, in California who's a member of the church. She says she, she, she wants her tombstone to say, flew away. You know, some glad morning when the day's were offline, she had flew away. She just wants her tombstone to say, flew away. <laughs> just get to the point. But well, it's just okay. I mean, um, in fact, I think I have a sermon called Tombstone Testimonies. Maybe I'll preach that sometime. No extra charge. I just thought that was neat. What a beautiful series of statements about Tychicus. We know nothing about him except that he accompanied Paul and went through probably a lot of challenges on that third journey. But um, what a powerful statement. Let's talk about uh, verse 8. He says, "'I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, "'that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts.'" Paul was, he was concerned. He had a healthy concern about them. And he wanted them to know the good news. And he wanted to find out news about them. And an early application is we should do the same. In the sense that if we're not careful, and again, I'm speaking about myself from time to time. I can get so self-absorbed. You know, Okay, what's, what's my faith look like? Uh, what's my obedience look like? What's my study look like? What's my life in Christ look like? that I forget about, I want to talk about your life and I want to see how you're doing and I want to congratulate you on your successes. And that's what it seems to me Paul is doing here, uh, among other things, is he's saying, I want to know about you all and I want you to know about the work that I'm doing. We should share those things with one another. Uh, And then Onesimus. We will talk a lot. We're only going to talk about Onesimus for 60 seconds today because starting next week and the week after, we'll talk about Onesimus in much greater detail because he is uh, the key figure uh, in the book of Philemon. Philemon is about three people. It's about Paul, it's about uh, Philemon, and it's about Onesimus largely. And so we're going to talk a lot about him. What do we know about Onesimus? Let's just... uh, for those of you that like KWL if, and pedagogy, if you know that, we'll give you extra points tonight, uh, this morning. But uh, what do we know about Onesimus before we get to Philemon? Former, Former slave, beloved brother. beloved brother. And so things got a little bit complicated in going back to Philemon, right? And the whole letter to Philemon is to instruct Philemon, by way of the Holy Spirit, that you are to accept him not just as a servant. In fact, you're to accept him now as a brother, and that has lots of trappings of cultural issues as well as spiritual issues and applications, which are rich for us. Which is why I appreciate that we're going to spend two two and a half weeks studying Philemon starting next week. Uh, in fact, faithful and beloved brother is the words that are used here in the text, and the last thing. Is I love the phrase where it says, He is one of you. Now, you could take that phrase a couple of different ways, you know, whether it be one of citizenship, uh, but, I, you know, the idea that He is, if, if, he, if you read Philemon, it stands to reason that it's about He's one of you as one of your brothers and sisters, is the way that I interpret it. And that's just just beautiful. Someone who is an outsider is now one of us. And again, I don't want to get two ahead of ourselves because we'll get into the book of Philemon, but um, just really beautiful language. Anything on the first couple of verses there before we get into, uh, I guess, verse verse ten? Yeah, brother Bruce here in front,
3: and then we'll go ahead and proceed to verse ten. I just find it uh, very interesting that uh, uh, Tychicus is also a comforter. Paul sent him to comfort them when he found out about uh, their estate, comfort their hearts. He didn't go and find out that, well, maybe I've had a hard time and struggling with this and struggling with that. Well, you need to get over that and get better. Uh, He was to have this grace and... and, uh, affection that we talked that he talked about beforehand here mm-hmm. in these previous verses and comfort them that you know the word is true the word is spreading you have other brothers who are going through the same things you absolutely. are absolutely and uh, I, I just i just find <coughs> that a, an important word when we talk about tichicus he was a comforter, a comforter.
0: very good and you go back to chapter 3. I flipped back to chapter 3 just to glance at chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, where it talks about um, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Paul is practicing what he's preaching, and he's preaching what he's practicing here. Very good. All right, let's talk about uh, Aristarchus for just a moment. Uh, we're not going to go back to Acts chapter 19 and read all those verses, but that's where we see his introduction. Uh, Do we remember what's going on in Acts chapter 19 uh, in that broad section? In just a a phrase or two? And if you want to cheat and go back and look, you can. That's fine. It's an open open book test. There was something going on at Ephesus, right? Great riot. And uh, Paul found himself, as he does in numerous times, in a lot of danger. Either verbal danger or physical danger. And Aristarchus is central to that. And in fact, he describes Aristarchus here in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, how? He says, My what? My fellow prisoner. And there may be double meaning to that. And I I don't know. It either means one thing or it means another thing. I can tell you that. Uh, It could be my fellow prisoner in the Lord. It could be if some have suggested a fellow prisoner in a literal sense where he's had his freedoms taken away. Whatever it is, doesn't matter. He, We know for sure that he's a prisoner of the Lord, which is one of Paul's favorite phrases to use. In fact, here in, in Colossians, he talks about himself as being a prisoner of the Lord. Um, Mark. What do we know about Mark if we go and read Colossians? Uh, acts 15. we know a couple things about mark if we were to do a quick biography sketch about mark what do we know about mark okay remember there was the the group of four and the division where paul and silas went one way and then john mark and barnabas went another way right In Acts chapter 15 you got to make sure you get sometimes i have to stop and make sure i get my pairs correct pair them correctly uh, but so, what do we learn from? And then, very late in his second letter to Timothy, which is near the point of Paul's death, we we can uh, pretty much uh, conclude he talks about Mark. So, what do we learn from that? That's that's a lesson in and of itself about grace, uh, perhaps. But what do we learn about that? What does that tell us? Was able to repair that relationship. Yeah. So just because. Um, well, there's different ways of putting it. I don't want to phrase it that way. Let me phrase it this way. I, I, like, I like the way that Brian puts it. He was able to repair that relationship. So there was some damage, maybe some hurt feelings uh, in Acts chapter 15, some difficulties, but they were able to at some point move beyond that. And that gives us hope that when we have strained relationships with our brethren or maybe with our family or maybe with friends of the world maybe we can work at repairing those relationships which is what we probably should try to do as much as possible Uh, other thoughts on on mark Uh, what else is mark known for and it's kind of a that's a slow pitch softball question the the gospel according to to mark in the second book of the new testament right okay Um, this was something that was, I had never noticed before when he talks about Barnabas and I I understand that we're probably talking about the Barnabas. I suppose it's possible you're talking about another Barnabas. I mean, there are multiple Jesuses, multiple Judases, uh, multiple Simons, multiple Jameses in the Bible, but we're going to assume that this Barnabas is the same Barnabas that we are introduced to back in the book of Acts. We find him in Galatians 2, verse 1. We find him in Galatians 2, verse 9. We find him later in Galatians, but that complica- in chapter 2, and that complicates things just a little bit in terms of his positive outlook and character. But he was a key helper of Paul. In fact, Barnabas was not his name. Barnabas was his nickname. And what does his nickname mean? Son of consolation. Son of, consolation, son of encouragement. <clears throat> son of comfort. You could almost uh, go back to what Bruce said a few moments ago. So he was the guy in Acts chapters 4 and 5 and then in Acts chapter 9 who makes appearances as saying, I'm going to vouch for Paul. He's a real guy. He's not a fraud. He's a real convert to the way. And just what a great guy he was. Um, You could, in fact, I I do have a sermon just on this text where I, I think I call it lesser known characters that do great things or something like that. Uh, but these are characters that we kind of forget about, but the Holy Spirit is putting them down for, for thousands of years to be read and to be appreciated. Uh, Jesus, whose name is Justice, this is the only mention of him in Scripture. I thought that was kind of interesting uh, to point out. And then it says, are of the circumcision, most conclude that these are Jews who are uh, in Rome. Uh, let's talk let's continue on here because we're going to run out of time and we'll have to finish up next week which is okay because we've got about looks like eight minutes left here uh, Epaphras says uh, he is of you most conclude or at least that seems like maybe that's talking about of Colossae I mean could, he could be talking about of the faith but then again that would not make sense be, given the fact that all these people are of the faith so perhaps of Colossae Um he makes a appearance in Philemon 23. And we'll talk about that in two weeks when we get into the, the second half of the book of Philemon. But I came across this, and I thought, oh, it's kind of interesting. Some have suggested that he's kind of the, the glue. He's the central character, uh, the central reason to Paul's writing to uh, the Colossians. Whether he is or not does not matter. Somehow, somewhere, someone was making sure information was getting from Paul. Tychicus was one of those individuals. And perhaps Epaphras was another individual who was making sure that information was getting from point A to point B because there's a significant space between the two of them geographically. Um, Notice how he is described, yet another epitaph. Uh, In verses 12 through 13, he's described as a constant laborer. Uh, let me turn over to my. so I'm actually reading the right passage here. A constant laborer fervently for you in prayers so that you may stand perfect and complete. And then verse 13, he says, I bear witness, I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you as well as those who are in surrounding areas, including Heropolis and Laodicea. Seemingly part of his work, part of his circle of influence, part of his encouragement as well. And these are cities that I'm told are within 20 miles of Colossae. If you look at a map, you'll see that they're very close to each other. And uh, verse 16, to get a little bit ahead of ourselves uh, when this is read to these other churches. Uh, Luke. What do we know about Luke. Who is Luke? Because he makes a mention here, or he's made mention of here. He's beloved physician. What else do we know Luke for? Being a Gentile? So we know him for a lot of things, don't we? Writing the book of Luke. Being almost a, a pseudo-historian in writing the book of Acts, he makes uh, a reference to him. Paul does in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Um, so that's very important. Uh, what about Demas? What do we know about Demas? We know in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, it says that Demas forsook me. But here, so there's some discussion about that that we could have. Uh, if nothing else, it proves that a person can be faithful to the Lord one moment and faithful as a friend and then not faithful at another moment, Right. So we're not all on fire 100% of the time. Um, And just because we are faithful to God today doesn't mean they're going to be faithful as a servant tomorrow. It's one of those passages we could use. And then Nymphos, this is the only mention of that person in Scripture as well in talking about a church that was meeting uh, in Nymphos' house so that's a lot of biography, a lot of kind of sketching of who these people are, but I thought I just wanted to spend some extra time on that, if for nothing else, because sometimes we don't spend time in looking at these more minor characters, and I think there's eight of them. Sir Brother Bill, Brother Brian, not in that order.
2: I was just going to mention, it, it's really encouraging to me. Uh, I know it's easy to get, uh, we have a lot of information about Paul. There's this small cast of characters that we have a lot of information about, and it's easy to imagine them doing all the work uh, in in this time period, but in reality there's this whole network of individuals that are are making real impacts on the churches, you know, and they are out there and they are faithful and they are working. Absolutely. We don't know as much about them, but it is encouraging to me just to think about whole whole groups of individuals
0: that are doing this work, not just, uh, you know, a Paul who's out there by himself. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why I did this study the way that it did is to point out that there's a whole, I I wrote down cast of characters who are behind the scenes working.
2: Yeah, I think just to add to Brian's comment too, it's a diverse group as well. You know, you mentioned former slaves, got some Jews, some Greeks. I mean, Paul is playing out chapter uh, 3, verse 11. There's neither slave nor free, Mm -hmm. you know, Jew or Gentile, Gentile. this is, uh, to, and also a kind of last comment here, this is one of the reasons I think it's, it's important for Paul to say things like he does in verse 5 about conducting yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. He comes in and the, his band of his team or whatever you want to call it right here just looks funny because you've got people from different backgrounds and uh, different classes and uh, different races. So he's got to make sure that him and his, his group in the church that would look like this um, is, is, is seeing themselves and acting in wisdom uh, towards outsiders because of what he says in chapter 3 verse 11 we, are, we have no distinction, the only thing that is common among us is being uh, servants, of, servants
0: of Jesus sure, excellent thank you, Miss Debbie over there, uh, while waiting for Miss Debbie uh, who else put together kind of an odd group of people the Lord himself another slow pitch for you right Jesus put together kind of an odd group of people as well. So it's okay if you're a little bit odd. Now, I'm not odd at all, um, but it's okay if we're a little bit different. Snippy.
4: I find the application to us as individuals is these people that we know less about were still out there doing what they were skilled in doing. They were using their talent for the Lord. And so we don't always need... Some of us prefer not to be in the limelight, be a preacher, be whatever. That, but there's actions and work that we can do behind the scenes that's vital to keeping Absolutely. their church going. And that's what these people were doing.
0: That's an excellent point. That's, we'll end with that application. And I've, I've said this before. I'll say it again. If you're like, I just don't think I can offer much to the church or I'm not that important because I'm, I'm not an elder. I'm not teaching a public class. If you feel like you don't fit in, come to the elders, come to someone that you respect, and we'll be happy to tell you, here's the good that you can do, and here's the good that you are doing, uh, because everybody has a role to play, and that's a big application. So we'll pick up with verse 16 for next week, which is June the 13th, and so go ahead and read Philemon as well. Thank you all very much.